You're back at the Sacred Birth Circle, and today's guest, Emmy Walker, is well known on social media for her vulnerability of sharing her story, both of her loss due to shoulder dystocia and her rainbow baby pregnancy and birth. She's using her platform to help raise awareness and empower other families as well as offer support. So please share this episode. Welcome to the Sacred Birth Circle. My name is Anna Vick. Thank you for joining us here today. It is bright and early for me and quite late for my guests. We are on yeah. sides of the world and I'm so thankful to have her here with us today to share her story and a little bit about her pregnancy journeys, which have been quite difficult, quite different and first as well. And so let me let my guests introduce yourself. Go ahead, Emmy. Hi, my name's Imogen Walker. I am a mom to two very sweet baby boys. One is sadly up in heaven and his name is Asher J. Walker. And he passed away after a shoulder dystocia birth, which happened in 2020. And my second sweet boy is my rainbow baby. His name's Miller and he was born last year in December on the first day of summer. And both journeys were very different, but yeah, I'm so glad to have brought one home safe and sound. Oh, tell us a little bit about your pregnancy. We were kind of chatting before we started here about how pregnancy yeah. is so different once you're in it and, you know, you start receiving all this information about what you can buy and do, but how was your pregnancy? Was it relatively normal, the first one? And Yeah, yeah, so normal. So my first one, basically, it was oh, there's two pink lines, we're pregnant, nothing but excitement. And I think we were a little bit um, oblivious, which I guess helped us fully enjoy the experience. We just thought, oh, wow, we're finally pregnant and we'll get to bring a baby home. But, you know, that doesn't always happen <laughs> for all of us. But, yeah, it was perfect, super healthy, and it was low risk, <laughs> if that makes sense as well. So he was such a griever, and we didn't expect anything to go wrong, let alone in the delivery, especially once we're at the hospital thinking we're going to meet him soon and take him home. And how many weeks were you? So I was actually past my due date. I was 41 weeks and three-ish days um, when I went into labor with Asha. So it was natural labor that you started into? So it was actually induced. I didn't want to go past my due date, but, you know, COVID, everywhere's at capacity and being low risk, we kept doing all the things, all the old wives' tales and I was at a birth center and they just kept encouraging us to keep doing everything that we were doing. Um, I had had four stretch and sleeps in the week before Asha had come and yeah, we were just trying all the things, but he was cozy and wanted to stay. So they ended up breaking my waters um, and then everything actually progressed from there. Mm. And the labor itself was actually beautiful. I only labored for about nine and a half hours. Um, in the shower and stuff it was amazing but the last 12 minutes was um, really chaotic so my natural or physiological birth will always belong to Asha. Mm -hmm. mm. So at what point did you realize there was something wrong then? For the so I, I guess um, I guess most mums have a feeling in their gut, I guess that intuition that, oh, is something happening, something wrong, and I felt really in control and in the zone um, that all mums get into when they're in that phase, um, and then when it got to the pushing phase, I just felt like there was so much pressure, and I was like, oh, I think something 
um, his brong and it felt like his hand internally was trying to move or something. But I kept being so encouraged, kept saying we're doing great, doing great. And yeah, um, no one expected my son to be as big as he was. He was on the 90 percentile when they checked four days prior. But I was reassured, you know, scans are a rough estimate and usually babies are smaller and given I'm a size four to six woman I was constantly reassured um, but yeah so basically I pushed the head out and we were shocked he had lots of dark hair and then from there um, with every push there was this thing called um, like he was squishing back on the perineum so it's like turtle necking basically and that's one of the first signs of shoulder dystocia so his little cheeks are just squishing back um, and at that point it's really important to note that your care provider should alert somebody especially if you're a low risk woman um, and don't have an obstetric team there or an obstetrician there overseeing the birth. So yeah, that started happening and he just wasn't coming no matter how much we pushed. And then everyone tried their best. Everyone frantically was trying so many maneuvers like the McRoberts and they got me from standing in the bathroom and moved me to the bedroom. Um, but yeah, somebody was paged to come to the room. But all I can say is if you notice your baby is stuck, you can say, call the code, call the code, please someone do something. Um, but I just didn't have the knowledge at the time to know that that's something that I could even do. And when a baby's stuck and being deprived of oxygen minutes really do matter. <laughs> so, yeah. So sorry. So did they immediately let you know there was something going on once he was delivered or were you still? So, okay. So basically in that little in-between of the 12 minutes, um, well, first, oh, <laughs> um, first of all, I just want to say um, no one, like no one in the room should have had to live with the memories of that. And we are very forgiving and hold no anger in the space um, that brought Asher into the world in regards to our birth. But um, yeah, unfortunately, um, in the chaos of everyone trying to do their best, um, he was deprived of oxygen and he was unfortunately born blue. So he had passed away after the head was born and then a recess started. So um, we weren't really told, everyone was just trying to do their best um, and I guess stopped bleeding, get him sorted, get him back. And Javi and I were just in complete shock. We couldn't believe everything was going all laddy daddy and fine to just staring at him thinking, please breathe. <laughs> and it makes me emotional, but no parent should have to go through that, especially if um, the significancy of an incident like that occurring can be reduced or if it can be managed faster because it can't always be predicted a shoulder dystocia but once it does happen or if risk factors can be reduced before a lady goes post dates and baby gets bigger it can make all the difference <laughs> well and mentioning that I wonder what you think about posts that we see a lot about the baby will know when to be born and you know your body uh, will know when to birth your baby appropriately like 
does that bother you? Because it does me as a parent whose baby died and, you know, and also transition. My son was delivered by crash C-section. And I think, well, God, why, why didn't my body alert me or why did my baby be born? If that's so true, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I have mixed feelings and stuff like that. I totally agree with you. I've definitely felt a lot of what you felt in terms of being like, why didn't my body just do all the things? (laughs) But um, I, I don't know, I believe everyone's journey is really individual and some people do go post-dates and it's amazing and I feel safe and empowered and I guess feeling like you have a continuity of support in a way, whereas being in an environment where everything's a mess, miscommunication or stressful at times um, with a rush situation, I guess... um, there's just so many factors that I don't think I have the knowledge um, to comment on it, but I think each to their own. Um, but yeah, when people with large babies specifically um, encourage others to keep going because they birthed a four and a half or four or five kilo baby, that um, that is when I feel the need to speak up and say something um just to be mindful <laughs> that yeah sometimes things can go positive and great but this is all also a scenario that most people don't even know can exist so yeah sometimes I just say you know a birth outcome isn't always worth more than not getting to le- or getting to leave the hospital with your child and I think there's so much um societal pressure on births looking a certain way and all these products based around promoting women to go past and be empowered and feel ready for birth when they're ready but at the same time I don't think it is for everyone and health professionals advice should be sought out and if you have concerns of your own you should push health professionals to look into those things especially nearing due dates and post dates especially yeah, I think that's key. And I think that's why it bothers me because on social media, it's such a one-way conversation. A lot of times yeah. you can put a post with this very, you know, blanket statement for everyone. Yeah. And then the people reading may not be the wiser as far as what you just said is, you know, consult your yeah. doctor, make sure your situation is okay to do that. So that's what yeah. I would recommend. You know, it's nice for empowerment and for you to feel good about the pregnancy and your birth plans and everything so make sure it's yeah. like tailored to you exactly and there, there needs to be a fine line you know birth isn't a trip to a day spa but it can be a wonderful magical amazing experience for some people but for those people that may need a little extra assistance I think it is wise um, to take into consideration the baby's needs aside from your birth desires because their life is so much more important in hindsight I wish I got a whole lifetime of watching my child grow up opposed to uh, just a week with him and if someone gave me the option and laid out the risks um, it could have been a game changer but we just didn't know and was so positively reinforced to keep going everything's great very Aussie kind of style she'll be right um but yeah I guess it's not always going to be right for everyone and every baby right and that kind of makes me think about too how people talk a lot about birth trauma and interventions mm-hmm. that they felt were un- you know unneeded and 
perhaps yeah. you know they felt out of control in the moment because decisions were made for them as the providers mm -hmm. things that they yeah. don't see you know and so mm -hmm. I think it's a scary situation for the parent because we do have to give up that control in that moment but yeah. personally I agree with you because I know my son needed interventions and didn't get yeah. enough either so yeah. different when you're on the other side, you know, and you can say it this way, whereas when they're on the other side with their living baby and they feel taken, you know, advantage of in a way that they feel yeah. the control and the trauma's there. I get it. Yeah, you know? yeah definitely. We've had many um, beautiful women and families reach out as well that have had big babies or a shoulder dystocia before and they didn't realize um, that a baby passing away or even fractures or nerve damage um, could even be an outcome. Um, and when I've spoken to them about their emergency seizures or traumatic experiences that they may have had before, um, they've found it really healing to look back at the whole situation sometimes and go, whoa, like maybe even though that was traumatic for me, it could have saved my child's life or things like that and I'm not saying anyone should be grateful purely just to take a baby home but I think that um, a situation can become traumatic for anybody if you don't have enough care enough information and enough support to make informed decisions um, so for me my second birth was a planned c-section um, and I was terrified, but I just accepted that it was the safest thing for my baby. And the um, care that I had was so different. I was so involved in everything. Um, and there wasn't this kind of don't scare the pregnant woman. It was we'll lay everything out and you make the informed choice. Um, and I really, really appreciated that. So I feel like that could help a lot of women avoid trauma in their birth situation. Because if um, someone's diehard hoping for a physiological birth or to avoid Caesar if that seems like the scariest thing out there it would be nice if when everyone's calm and not in labor if the care provider said hey there's some factors here they're so minimal statistically unlikely to happen would you like to have a conversation about it or sign a form understanding consenting to progressing past your due date if you understand you know what's given and I think there's not that opportunity enough because if a person feels empowered and not making a rash decision when they're tired and in labor or just whisked away in an emergency then they have time to comprehend and process um, and have a bit of sense of agency in what's happening to them and their child so I believe when things just hit the fan and stuff just gets done to you um, and not you don't feel like it's done for you, even though in the time it is, but it's not serving your emotional well-being, then I believe it can be traumatic in any space or method of birth. Yeah, I think you're like spot on as far as that, because to me, it seems like a breakdown prior to the birth happened. Like you didn't trust your doctor in the first place or you didn't like yeah. them. You know, a lot of times we say we didn't yeah. like our doctor, you know, oh. like if you didn't like your doctor, yeah. right? You continue with that one, you know, because there's so many options and, you know, maybe not everyone has them, but you can't yeah. shop around like you do for other things and see which one's a good yeah. fit, you know. And so many people don't even know that. They can be like, can I see someone else or should we go to another hospital or, you know, <laughs> like just oblivious. It's like you rock up to appointment and this is who you get. But I actually did love my people that I had and my heart breaks for everyone that went through 
the whole thing with us. But um, yeah, I just think like I wish I could have known when we got sent away the first time um, to go home and wait for an induction, even though we had everything in the car. We were like, please, we're ready. <laughs> and um, they're like, uh -uh, go home, my risk. And we were like, okay. <laughs> um, so yeah, we were just trusting, like everything will be fine. I'm just being nervous. And then, yeah, wanted to touch base with my people. And they, you know, were so encouraging. And yeah, sometimes I think, yeah, just having a different team or being able to speak to people and not feeling like a burden. If you're like, hey, I don't want to undermine you, but can I please speak to someone else here? I think having that freedom, especially for people that don't have confrontational personalities, to say, please, like, I don't want to be difficult, but please, I think there needs to be more space for that as well. <laughs> That's really smart. And I think number one, if you have the intuition, the feeling that something's a little bit off with your body or your yeah. body is to say, you know, I understand what you're saying is normal. You know, that's what would mm -hmm. be for most people, but I'm feeling something's off. And can I yeah. please have a second opinion or, you know, you can go seek yeah. it out yourself without even telling yeah. them <laughs> if you really feel <laughs> off. Yeah. But, you know, that's I think true. it's like bottom line, we don't think this can happen to us, especially when we're being reassured. So I don't blame myself and I know you don't either that yeah. you couldn't have possibly known it was going to end that way. Yeah, and definitely. You would have been, you know, screaming at everyone, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but, 100%. You know, yeah, after yeah. the 2020 vision to say this to people like, hey, you need yeah. to speak up for yourself, even though, you know, we thought we were, we were asking yeah. questions, you know. So, yeah, and I, I guess it's even having the little seeds sowing there being like, oh, I, I've heard this story or I've had this conversation with someone that I care about and maybe I should act on that feeling. Um, and yeah, our um, a couple of our friends or people that have become friends through social media after all of this um, and our story on Instagram and stuff, lots of people have turned around and gone, oh, thank you so much. Like I didn't even know it could happen or they're like, my baby did get stuck and I knew what was happening straight away. And it just made me think, oh, I feel like Ash is watching over his little baby friends being like, woo, yeah. Like, and for me, I'm like, that's a huge win. So hearing anything like that, I'm just like, wow, because I had never come across anything in terms of shoulder dystocia or you know, you know, stillbirth is a thing or certain things are a thing like not seeing cause and stuff, but you never think it's going to happen to you, you know, until it does. And then you're like, why, why did I not know more about this? So, yeah, but as a mum, I guess you just want to do what's best for your babies. And we did the best with what we knew at the time. And sometimes things are just out of our control. Mm, you're so sweet I feel like I'm opposite of you in this stage of my grief because I've been grieving for seven years almost and yeah. now I'm in the activist mode you know so yeah. I'm like this is my rage mode I call myself yeah. 22 so like you're yeah. still in a very kind mode but I, I get really upset with yeah. letting this happen and like you know, just to leave it on yeah. the after to figure things out, because I mean, I didn't have a cause of my death and I had to go search for the yeah. years until I finally figured it yeah. out myself. And it seemed like a complacency, like just to keep doing things the way they do. Yeah, um, and I don't know, in your care, I, I know that there are ways to intervene. So if they were yeah. no issue, like, why didn't they? you know, yeah. get in there. and it's hard. I know you don't want to have that feeling of like, they failed you no in that why? situation, but 
Yeah. You know, and I know you're educating, which is great because now you know and you can tell parents, but it, I feel like it shouldn't be up to us, the mothers. Yeah. <laughs> like, hey, we don't have a medical degree, just by the way, everybody, you know, we just yeah. learn badly through lived experience and which yeah. is very important to share and people to learn from because yeah. you know, folks will tell you things, but it's not for, you know, there's not that much research. Yeah. There isn't that much information because it hasn't exactly. been heard. You know, maternity yeah. care is so basic in our country. I don't know how well yours is handled, but we don't have the same protocol at every hospital, yeah. you know, for most of these things. Yeah, yeah. I guess in Australia, there's some, um, I guess, like statistically, there's stuff going on. And um, for me, I would love every single person to get to take their baby home. But there's some gaps that I've realized after our experience where, financially it's not profitable or it's nonsensical to offer a certain level of care to everyone if they're low risk um, and that's very unfortunate I wish well here we have Medicare and I guess I wish that they would just cover a scan for every woman later in pregnancy and it could pick up cord issues placental issues and things like that and then also give women with large babies like myself um, the opportunity to talk through things and have a bit more of a care plan and weeks to understand what that means research and then I kind of guess advocate for yourself but yeah I love everything that you're doing as well because these conversations are so needed and I guess the changes that are coming about after stuff are only coming from parents who have experience loss um sadly and it might seem like oh one in every however many ends up with an undesirable result but at the end of the day that's a mother that's a father that's a whole generation wiped off a family tree that could have been um and yeah I guess when it hits home for you you want to do more but when you see the statistics and you're a healthcare professional and your job is only within this perimeter, it's hard, you know, to do something unless you have this fire inside you, like you have this drive that's been built up over seven years. So, yeah, I hope you get to change everything, especially with the Shine Act as well that you're setting out to do. Yeah, we're lucky here. We have two acts now. So if anyone wants to support stillbirth prevention, it's Shine for Autumn Act and the Maternal and Child Health Stillbirth Prevention Act of 2022, which is a long name for yeah. just basically including stillbirth and the Title V funding we already have for um, avoiding infant death, which we yeah. believe are stillborn, our babies who were stillborn are also considered babies and they were born, yeah. you know, they were delivered. So we should be preventing that. You know, most of them are yeah. full term and yours was too full term. So yeah. I feel like people turn a blind eye to birth deaths because they think of it like yeah. a pregnancy loss perhaps and yeah. like oh, well I just have another baby and I don't know how you got yeah. here I'm sure everyone saw Asher and he's so beautiful by the way and well, you know I'm you. sure you your sympathy hopefully for a while but for me it ended yeah. pretty quickly because yeah. it, it was like he wasn't real like he just I did have a burial yeah. I didn't come see that um, yeah. But after that, it's like, okay, so she's mourning for a little while and then maybe she'll have another baby. Maybe she'll be happy now, you know, yeah. change as a person and you'll never no, forget your child that you lost, you know. Yeah, and I don't know if you experienced it, but I found that losing a baby was unlike losing any other loved one I ever have 
experience because um, like I've lost my mom as well and other loved ones but no one once said to me oh it's okay you're young you'll find another mother figure in your life or you know there was never this oh it's okay like just just try again and you're like my my home was ready for a child and I don't think um, people understand the limbo your life is then got to a certain point and it's on hold and you have all the things and all the dreams and the desires but you can't act on any of them but you're a mother to maybe it's your first or others but you'll always be a parent to the amount of children that you love from the second those lines turn pink whether it's you know infant loss pregnancy loss child loss later on down the track once your heart changes and you're a parent at heart, every loss is so relative. And yeah, it's so hard when people just go, oh yeah, go on to the next one. Like, when are you going to try again months out? And you're like, what? <laughs> it's, it's kind of surreal to be honest. Mm, yeah, I, I hear that all, all the time about like, well, if your spouse dies, they're like, oh, don't worry, you'll get another one, I guess. Like, yeah. it's appropriate to yeah. say to someone that's not very kind. No, you're like, but I want my person that I loved a lot back, please. <laughs> or like, yeah, so it's hard navigating stuff like that. But I guess the pregnancy after loss did bring a lot of um, joy, but it comes at a different time for everyone and when the people are ready and it doesn't replace the child that you've lost in any way, shape or form. Because um, even when you have more, you'll be thinking, oh, I should have had two or three or there's always something or someone missing at every single event of every day of your life from now on. So yeah, I think that's forgotten about sometimes. So share a little bit about that pregnancy because we obviously have you on social media. You're pretty popular yeah. on Instagram. So if anyone wants to follow, if you aren't already, you can follow uh, Emmy Walker and her page is beautiful. I think your photos are so lovely. And I will say it was a very like nice thing to see the pregnancy and how you were yeah. doing. And, you know, I always take everything with a grain of salt because I know what you're going through. So I'm like, she's yeah. showing the good stuff. So how was it really for you? Um, to be honest, it felt like I was holding my breath the whole time. It was very different to my first where I was like, oh, I'm pregnant. I'm going to bring a baby home. <laughs> The, that time I was just like I love this little human and I'm going to try my best every single day to be present and stay calm even though that didn't always work um I was just like I just want to try be with this person for as long as I get them it's like my heart was like you know this is this is out of a Disney movie this this amazing romanticized thing of taking babies home and it just seemed like a beautiful fairy tale a beautiful dream that I wanted but my heart was like, uh-uh, we've experienced a nightmare. And it's like a part of me didn't believe that that was going to be true for us. And I'm, I'm like, I'm Christian. I, I hang on to faith a lot. And I just believed. I was like, please, like, surely this is going to be different. Um, and a lot of times I just had to put faith over fear. But it was... Um, yeah, I don't think people understand it was a conscious effort every single day. It was a conscious choice to try and mental health wise do my best. Um, and yeah, it, it wasn't um, 
as blase and full of, you know, all the cute toys and stuff as my first pregnancy was. I was very aware and I just felt like a huge protective mama bear. Like I felt like if I didn't know what I wanted and what was going to be best for my child, that fate would have it, that my blase-ness would just sneak in again. I was terrified of that, but now he's here and he's safe. Um, and yeah, I just had to keep challenging my fears a lot of the time. Like I was worried about a C-section and the spinal, which by the way, was so calm for my situation, a plan. Um, well, I got to avoid a lot of the PTSD and stuff the second time around um, being triggered in the birth space because we had the opportunity to plan so many things out and visit everyone that will be in the room and visit the rooms um, and everyone talked to us as people before everything got really stressful so we just really understood what was happening and I never once felt like anything was done to me without my knowledge or full consent so I feel like that was really powerful in the sense that having the plan for us really helped us avoid all of that. So that was a positive at the end of my pregnancy. It was amazing. But yeah, it was a lot of work to remain um, on top of all those what ifs. Yeah. So my first mm -hmm. question, because there's so many about this for me, yeah. is, did you continue with the same care team from the last? Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not too sure, to be honest. Um, my husband and I were quite relaxed and go with the flow. I think our parenting style is quite um, the same as what it would be. We're very gentle nature. Oh, no, I meant uh, you didn't hear my, my wording. It was, um, did you have the same care team, the same um, providers? Oh, I thought you said parenting. <laughs> no, no, no. I know you guys. You guys are so sweet. I, I and her oh. husband as well. I see him on your page too. Oh, he's um, no, I'm just curious because a lot of us switch after a loss like yeah. we won't necessarily trust the person or we didn't like the type yeah. of care we got or maybe you yeah. got a better level of care I don't know how it worked there yeah so um yeah scrap the whole parenting thing um, <laughs> we can talk about that at the end <laughs> My, my care actually um we decided just so that we could be as focused on Miller as possible and not reignite a lot of the trauma and the grief that it was just best for us to go private um and through a different hospital I thought as many different things as possible the better I was like I want his story to be as different as possible. So that's what we chose. Um, and I noticed a few very big contrasts between the private and the public care. Um, because it's not that I didn't trust the care providers that I had the first time enough to go back to them. It's the fact that I didn't trust the system to be able to offer them the support they needed to do their job well and thoroughly. Um, and you know, there's room for human error in every situation. You can't expect anyone to be on their A game and doing an amazing job when hospitals are at capacity and, you know, there's a lot of factors going on sometimes in multiple births. So we went private and our obstetrician only took on a certain amount of women over certain periods of time in the year. Um, and then we were welcome to come get scans at any point. We were never treated like... It was a nuisance that we should call back in an hour, have an orange juice, walk around the block. 
um, we were never gently reassured by being like, oh, I'm sure it's fine. Remember, you're young, you're healthy, you're under 35, all of that type of stuff. It was, you know, we trust your gut, come in. And if it's fine, it's totally okay. It was so much more supportive. Um, and the first few times I was terrified of going into a hospital. Um, and, yeah, a midwife sat with me um, I had a check and held my hand. She was like, you know, you can come anytime. It's not a nuisance to anyone. We're never over swamped, if that makes sense. And it just made me really calm and relax and know that um, I could, or that Miller could have care whenever he needed it. Um, so it made me feel reassured in looking after him that if I was worried I could just go and see people and get that reassurance but I know not everyone has access to private health care but I think as well um, just trust your gut go to the hospital as many times as you need and be unapologetic about it <laughs> um, if you need to be and you know what if everything ends up being right pretend fine that's awesome. At least as a mum, you know, you did what was on your heart and who cares if it wastes an hour or two out of your day, at least, you know, it's worth it. So yeah, I think there was a big difference in my care and I probably, um, being the sensitive soul that I am, won't be comfortable going back to that same hospital and being um, public again, but that's just me. I don't know what your experience was like. Right. So here we don't have the option of a public versus private. They're all, you know, we pay for um, our medical care. So yeah. it's definitely up to us where we go. We have different types of plans, though, where you can pay more, you know. So I think that's kind of similar to what you went through there. And mm -hmm. I did find my daughter is what I use the initial as a PPO plan where you see just one doctor. And that was definitely more thorough and I think he cared a lot more because it's his own practice you know his name's on the building you know it's his thing yeah, so yeah. he doesn't want to just let something happen whereas where I saw in the groups it was a lot of like inconsistency of care tossing you to the yeah. doctor and no one really knew their patients there was just so many yeah. coming in and out yeah. and right now we have problems with COVID too overloading the hospital system so yeah. yeah, I'm sure there's that situation for pregnancy. So I agree, like, even if you feel like foolish about it, which I did, even the night I went in when I noticed the change in movement, I felt yeah. like I was being a little like over the top, like what, yeah. what could be wrong? Like, I didn't know stillbirth could just happen yeah. in a normal pregnancy. Yeah. Like so I didn't yeah. have that idea really that he was dying. I just thought like something's off here. Should I go check? And then I yeah. said, like, you just check. I mean, it's the middle of the night, but I went over there. Yeah. And I still felt like I was being crazy. Like there's no reason yeah. I can't be here right now. And then to find out yeah. that he was in distress, you know, I yeah. start to tell people all the time, like you have to trust that no matter what. Like it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. Like you said, if it's wrong, it's wrong, you know, or if they yeah. find something, they can intervene, thankfully, a lot of times. Yeah, so yeah a hundred percent. And I think I think it's so important, like you said, to just just go. Like if you have a feeling, just go. Um and don't let anyone talk you out of it. Because I found the worst thing the first time was, you know, I'd be reassured. And if I still wanted to go anyway, I felt like I would be being a nuisance or not a nuisance, but, you know, there are people with high-risk pregnancies that do need certain levels of care and you don't want to take care away when you know the system's struggling a bit from someone else as well. So it's so hard to be like, oh, 
am I wasting people's time? I just need reassurance. And yeah, I just wish that when a woman is presenting and even needing reassurance that she is met and reassured. And if the baby's great, can go home. And if not, they have a plan rather than, you know, needing reassurance and being sent away or then having someone question why they're there when that woman might be doing that in her head as well because it just solidifies that you know um, your gut maybe shouldn't be listened to as much as it should and really it's the most important thing (laughs) right and I do get feedback from parents here who say well I said something and then they either falsely reassured me or they did one little NST and they said it looked good and they told me go home or they just checked the heartbeat or they gave up the attitude you know and they didn't come back again the second time when it was necessary so yeah. the attitude of the providers has to change for that because yeah. it's not making you feel like you're doing the right thing, like you said. Yeah, 100%. And I reckon there needs to be a culture shift in all birth spaces, whether it's, you know, community center, public, private, whatever type of hospital. I think if a woman is um, concerned and it can be addressed, even if they have to wait or whatever, I think it should be. Um, but yeah, it's just crazy how many stories you find out where people you know, slip through the cracks and stuff. And it's like, oh, like hindsight is a horrible thing for a parent to live with. But the person that just brushed you off, whatever, probably won't even remember that interaction a week or two later. And if it leads to your baby passing away, you have to, you know, navigate life with those, oh, what if should I have said? And no, no one deserves to go through any of that. So at least you could go home and stand your ground with someone and be like, you know, everything's okay or everything wasn't okay, but at least I didn't let my worry of how I would be perceived by someone else affect how I'm going to look after my baby. Like it's so hard and I only felt empowered the second time around. Um, Yeah, the first time I just, you know, so trusting, like everyone knows what they're doing. They're saying it's fine, it's probably fine. (laughs) Like, right. And I wonder also, I mean, you did pay for your second pregnancy yeah. uh, privately, but also they knew you had lost the baby. So I think their level yeah. of concern was higher than it would have been if they still thought you were low risk. Yeah. The treatment yeah. And some, yeah, the treatment was like so different and it amazed me going to my obstetric appointment, getting towards, um, I think it was the second or third trimester. And I was like, I know I should feel like I can relax now but I can't um because I was obviously a bit more aware to the lost community and I just thought nothing's given go love this baby and I'm not going to believe it until they're here and screaming now like, <laughs> but yeah my care provider actually said to me so what are you worried about what are you looking forward to are you stressed at all and she was like give me a percentage and I said oh I was after the heartbeat check and everything and ultrasound I was feeling about 90% good I was like oh he's okay because uh, scans can be so hard for people when you've lost a baby at any point but I was feeling quite reassured but I said I'm still just stressed like I just don't feel like everything's going to be okay and she said well I want to hear about the 10% and she just held space for me to talk about it and then we even talked about birthing in um, some natural light and trying to make me feel Um, as calm as can be and going over things that would be triggers and I just remember thinking I'm sitting across from an obstetrician 
where my first birth journey, it made it seem like if I was seeing an obstetrician or having a C-section, it was like worst case scenario, like you'd be there because something's wrong. And I was there because I wanted this to go so right. And yeah, to have my obstetrician saying, oh, natural light and tell me about the 10% of stress and things like that. Like you said, name on the building, they're there because that's what they've chosen. And yeah, it was just so different. Every time I left an appointment, I was just gobsmacked. I was like, all right, if anyone's got us, she does. <laughs> like, yeah. Right. So how early did you decide on the C-section on your pregnancy? Was that like planned right from the get-go or once you got further along? Yeah. So funny story. Um, and I can't disclose names because we have a case and everything like that going on still fashion. But um, we had a wonderful person, I guess, have our story on their heart in the hospital and they spoke to us human to human and just said, you know, this shouldn't have happened. If you came across my room or my care, you wouldn't have left the hospital and waited for induction. And um, I was advised, just have Caesars, please, just do it. And I had been on support pages um, and they had said, you know, you can go on, don't listen, don't listen. But for me, I just thought, I I knew that I wouldn't be able to survive making a choice of a birth over advice for my child's life. I was like, I can heal for a scar and that's my preference, but it might be different for someone else. So yeah, it was very different, but I decided uh, actually at the point of that conversation when Asha was still laying in the NICU that I would be having a Caesar. And then I had heard a name a couple of times around um, at a beautiful hospital in Subi. And my sister-in-law and a beautiful friend that's a teacher actually had their babies through her. Um, and yeah, I thought, let's go in and book an appointment. And I called her up one day. We weren't even trying to conceive just to see in the next few years if she had space or so. And she did. And she invited us for a family planning meeting, which I didn't even know was a thing. Um, and yeah, I just said, I don't even want to know about other options. I just cut me open and get my baby here. And I was like, if I has to be hip to hip, I don't care what it looks like. It's just, yeah, I was like full reign to do what you need to do. And she was fantastic. So yeah, I wasn't even pregnant when I made the choice for a C-section, but I definitely had to work through accepting it and getting over the fear in the first few trimesters. <laughs> Did your doctors say that that would be more necessary because of what happened? Because I know with what happened, it's not necessarily like your body didn't expand a certain way. I don't know what your did you find out why it was caused in your case? Because I know you're not overweight, so there's a lot of things that your yeah. baby didn't have too too big Asher. So I'm not sure that yeah. they can give you any more information as to why that ended up happening. So basically with shoulder dystocia and in my case, they can't always predict it's going to happen. Um, so if you have gestational diabetes or a macrosomic baby, like a baby that's, I think it's over four and a half or four kilos or gestational diabetes, um, usually if you're in a high risk category because of things like that or a previous shoulder dystocia birth, you'll have an obstetric um, care team offer an earlier induction or a C-section, the woman probably, unless she pushes for it, will not be left to go post-dates quite far on into weeks. Um, but 
yeah, for me, I guess um, the only risk factor was that he was a macroscopic baby. So he was large, but yeah, it, it just happened. And obviously once you've had one, you're at risk of more, but it's so weird to me that um, I could have been laying next to a woman the same size as me, same age, the same gestational age baby. And if she had gestational diabetes, she would have had the options for care and would have never been offered to go to 42. But me being low risk, I didn't even know that what I was offering, um, what I was being offered was kind of not okay. And I didn't know I was allowed to ask for anything outside of that, or it is okay for some people, but I was never presented with the option of full knowledge. And I was never able to say, oh, I actually don't consent to those risks happening. Like, I don't want to do that. Is there another option? I didn't, I just didn't know. So, yeah. <laughs> but Emmy, to be honest, and I'm going to tell you, like, I don't know that you would have done anything different because the risk level is so low. Like when someone tells yeah. the percentage, I mean, it's yeah. not even what, it's not even a percent, right? That's yeah, it's so far off. But I feel like if someone mentioned shoulder dystocia and the gut feelings that I was having, like he was, he was big. Um, and the S, he was only estimated 4.1. Now that should only be about 15% out max because um, scans aren't accurate, unfortunately, even though everyone gets here through being born, there's not better technology and I don't know why, <laughs> but I wish there was. Um, but yeah, Asher was actually 4.9. Um, kilos um, and some babies basically I'll explain shoulder dystocia when a baby gets born one or both of their shoulders or part of their body can become impacted and stuck in the pelvis and then the maneuvers kind of help free the shoulders and boom baby's born but when you've got a big baby <laughs> and a tiny person it's just not going to work without things getting broken or damaged or oxygen being deprived um, or the proper maneuvers helping to facilitate that safe birth and next to no shoulder dystocias end up in death like ours that's really important to know um, and people can go on to have successful births um, natural physiological with big babies but um, yeah for us I just I know in my gut that I wanted this water birth at the birth center and the second I started feeling like he was big and I was pushing for all the stretch and sweeps my poor husband was getting dragged on hikes and walks everywhere. I was doing everything. Um, my gut was just like, this is wrong. And every day I would wake up and just cry because I was like, he couldn't come last night. Like, what's wrong? Um, and, yeah, so I think if I had had an informed conversation because I kept asking for people to talk to me about it and no one was talking to me about it, texts weren't being replied to there was changes over of staff and I expressed that I was feeling quite anxious and I was like can someone just have a talk to me like what does this mean a later induction and a big baby like what um but there was just crickets <laughs> unfortunately um so yeah and there's yeah, some I, I, for you what the big baby I mean you could have cord compressions happening yeah. The cord could have been in a certain way that was keeping your baby from coming out, you know, around, we have yeah. a lot of nuchal cord deaths that we know of and people yeah. say, oh, well, the nuchal cord doesn't do anything, but, you know, that's yeah. because we know of so many survival stories and percentage, yeah. and, you know, we know the percentage, it doesn't matter about the percentage, yeah. 
there's still um, a when you're the one when you're yeah. the one on the opposite end of all those reassuring factors you're like well, why did i win the bad lottery <laughs> like so yeah. yeah that is crazy i definitely i i would not have left the hospital and let them rebook in even though i said can we have him now and they were like oh in a few days time and i was like i need to speak to my midwife like let me text her and then it was oh okay i'll go and i'll just have another stretch and sweep and i'll try my best again like i wouldn't i wouldn't have settled for that if someone even said he could have like oh we might have to fracture your child's arm to get him out i'd be like my tiny little person does not need that in their first few moments entering the world no thank you like yeah and so I think I just wish someone realized that I was like I don't care about my water birth induce me I don't care about this method of birth break my waters I was like just get him here safe please um I just wish you know I just wish I would have known more so that I could have actually said hey this is what I want and I need to speak to someone else because yeah but I think you're right in the sense that would I have done some things differently? I don't know. I may have still birthed at that hospital. I may have still had the same team. I may have still gotten induced that day even. Um, but induction actually does increase the risk of the shoulder dystocia ever so slightly. And I didn't even know that was a factor. Like to put it out there that I was so oblivious to shoulder dystocia being a thing, I think is even an understatement. So no, I yeah. don't know that I knew anything about it at all. And I wouldn't have thought mm -hmm. it. And I think most women watching now probably wouldn't have thought it. That's why I said that not so much for you, because I know you probably had your feelings and you were having that intuition that something's wrong. And you were yeah. communicating all the way and you know but for yeah. someone else watching if you're feeling that way right now and you have mm -hmm. a bigger um, partner maybe I know your husband's quite tall I don't know if he's a lot yeah. taller. so like that's my case my husband's six eight and I'm yeah. small oh, wow. so for yeah. me I think our body types created a big, always bigger babies you know yeah. So yeah for my little body to birth through the natural way I don't think I could have even if I that ever been yeah. in my life. like I actually had to have all c-sections so oh wow yeah reasons wow. but honestly yeah. like if you start to feel that way and the doctor's like oh well this is normal what's well, not normal for me you know yeah I don't yeah. think I'm feeling right right now and there's a reason for yeah. that and my body yeah. is just not behaving the way it normally would for every woman you know so please do something yeah. here like and I know I'm saying yeah. it because I think like in retrospect, we can say we would have done this, we would have done that, but we would have mm -hmm. still been kind of the same. I yeah. feel personally, unless someone told me and I was watching this about shoulder dystocia, I would have been like, well, I don't even know that. Like, let's yeah. like, no, that's not going to happen to my baby, you know? Yeah. So it's yeah, have to say like, oh, I would have done this differently, but the providers did fail in the sense that they didn't communicate to you all this information and really watch you and make sure like when you started to say these things over and over that yeah. they could more than just reassure you falsely yeah and I wish I wish as well like in terms of false reassurance um and if my beautiful care providers do even end up watching this at some point I don't lay blame because I know it's so important for birthing women to feel supported and not tense and close like open in the birth space everything like that but um, like there was a point in those 12 minutes before stuff got really serious where I just remember 
just my gut going, oh, something's wrong. And I, mid-birth and being all primal, um, my foot was like in the shower and on the toilet and then on the basin. And I was like, primarily, I think I was just moving my body instinctively, just being like, this isn't working. This, this isn't. <laughs> and um, obviously the turtlenecking is a sign, which I wasn't aware of of a mother that, if picked up for someone else if that's happening to them and their team's like right got to do this not giving the woman a chance to just have this birth to hands off not intervene I think sometimes if conversation can happen before of hey you know you're at risk of this do you just want us to intervene and what are your wishes in that and what do you consent to because we'll just go for it um, like that would have been so important because I remember so many people trying certain things and the last thing that happened that got him out was extremely brutal. But if I knew that he was dying, if I knew, you know, I would have just been like, get him out. Like I can have physio, like just rip him out. And obviously that ended up happening to an extent. And I went home without a child and those injuries and I much rather would have gone home with those injuries and with my son so yeah I think you know it's easy to say you know I, I would want this or want that or want desires but at the end of the day your wants for your birth and your wants for your child um, they can actually be very different and I think so much focuses on the birth that it needs to be shifted on to the woman and her baby and what she consents to happening to her body and her baby rather than just, yeah, I guess giving it, you know, seeing how it goes or giving it the chance. Like I think if a situation can have a horrible outcome, the chance and the waiting and the umming and the ahhing and the it's all good, you're doing great. I feel like it shouldn't go from being that positive and everyone being involved in, you know, just an amazing environment to suddenly chaos and how did this happen? Um, yeah, I think think there should be more room for understanding before <laughs> there's such stark contrast happens. So, yeah. I agree. And I think the emphasis of birth plans right now is on experience. So anybody creating a birth plan, that's beautiful to know how you want it set up and how you want the room and the colors and the lighting and the yeah. everything that's going to happen with your music and all this great stuff is wonderful. But don't forget to like think about risk factors. Like Emmy just said, have a real conversation yeah. with the provider. Like, hey, mm -hmm. what kind of risk do I stand in this pregnancy? I know I'm low risk, but what things could possibly yeah. happen and what will we do? together yeah. in those situations yeah. and I want obviously for me and stillbirth prevention the mm. time is of the essence like there's chances to yeah. save babies especially if you're kick counting and you know and you're aware and you're saying there's a change here can you please check on my baby yeah. this needs to yeah. be done quickly and you need to get a baby out quickly before the damage of hypoxia and lack of oxygen happens so we cannot yeah. have people stumbling around and like, oh, we don't know what's happening. Or, Everyone's freaking yeah. out into the providers. You're like, no, well, you have to know what's yeah. happening here, you know? Yeah. So, and the thing is my heart just like sinks for anyone in anyone's lost journey, even the care providers, obviously the parents that lose a baby. I'm like, oh, I wish you didn't have to go through that. I feel so bad for you. But even the care providers, like some people being out in the hall, and just distraught and people crying with us in the NICU and people just going this shouldn't have happened and me as a parent being like 
I don't understand, but this person is saying, you know, X, Y, Z. And it's just, it's just a lot for anyone to go through. And if it can be preventable for parents and even healthcare providers to an extent, or if early intervention can help, why not? I mean, throw all the money at it. I, I swear every mum would tick a box for her tax going towards better women's healthcare if they could. Um, so, yeah, one day. I mean, poor president. What do you guys have over there? <laughs> um, we need women in power. That's the problem. I think people think of it like a maternity care issue, but it's a family issue. These are our babies for, you know, your partner. We haven't talked much about grief or anything yeah. like that but we all go through it together and mm -hmm. it's a horrible experience to live a whole life yeah. without a child yeah yeah it is it's horrible and even even for staff living with the what if so I wonder how that family's going you know there's I feel like healthcare professionals will forever have their certain people and their stories that just stay on their hearts like they can't get their journey or being a part of their journey out of their heads and no one should sometimes have to live with the things that everyone has to live with when a loss occurs especially if everyone's like could I have done something more yeah it's so hard <laughs> yeah and I think you highlight some really important points earlier as far as what the care provider can even do because of the system they're in and that's what yeah. we have here too is I think it's a systemic failure. I don't think any individual mm -hmm. doctor is not doing a good job or wanting to do a good job, but they just can't. They're just so strapped for time and resource and even protocols yeah. like ours do not advance quickly enough here. We're still working on trying to get ACOG to have stillbirth prevention protocols for us yeah. to because the UK mm -hmm. has that and they've already by over 25%, I think by now has been lowered very quickly yeah. in three years. And we know we can do really well here as far as because we do have the access, we have resources, we're just not using them appropriately and we're not empowering the parents yeah. with this information. Like you said, yeah. and like information is just so important so we can be yeah. aware, you know, be active participants in the care other than just letting them do like the basic stuff coming in and out and then feeling like, well, something's a little off, but they're telling me it's okay. That's not mm -hmm. okay for yeah. care, especially for a little human being yeah. inside, you know. Mm, and I think there shouldn't be this difference in, oh, this, this demographic of women gets offered this and this demographic of women gets offered this. And if there's a big difference there, something's wrong and we should be having a conversation about it. To be told that, you know, I would have only been offered a C-section or not leaving the hospital, even under a public um, obstetrician, it's very hard to know that you know, how would I have had the opportunity to come across this person's path? And you rack your brain about if this happened differently or if I need to ask for this person. And the reality is that's not the parent's fault at all in a situation like that, but the system kind of was like, oh, okay, here's the box you're in. This is what we're going to offer you. And the woman's going, oh, okay, if my care provider's offering me X, Y, Z, I need to pick from X, Y, Z. <laughs> so, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's why I, I think it gives us all the work and makes us feel awful after like we didn't do something. And in reality, yeah. like we couldn't have known better. I didn't go to school for yeah. this, you know? Yeah. I've seen pregnancy yeah. go well in those situations too. Like you said, other people have big babies. Why, you know, yeah. why would you be so worried if nobody else was worried? Yeah, 100%. And I think, I think overall, just 
knowledge is power and I just urge anyone if you have a feeling just speak to people about it or don't think oh I don't want to scare myself I don't want to have this conversation it's your damn baby you should get informed <laughs> like yeah so yeah I, yeah I can't tell you the number of people who will comment when I'm educating on TikTok and they'll say I'm scaring pregnant women I'm like I am not yeah. scaring pregnant woman I'm actually preparing her to know something so that when she's yeah. in that situation she might know to act activate herself a little bit quicker and like you know advocate like you know trust her gut like that's what I'm doing I don't know about scaring women like if I had known this I would have probably acted differently and then like maybe I would have been more aware prior to you know and everything so I think it's ridiculous this like we're acting like women are little girls still you know, we can know. handle a lot more than you think we can handle. And we are yeah. smart. We all, you know, well-educated yeah. women. This happens to everybody. Yeah. And hey, I mean, there's some people that might not want to know by the care provider or whatever information you're seeing. If you see something, it's on you to keep scrolling if you want. And I wish all care providers were like, you know, you may be at risk of this or this is something that can happen in any pregnancy. Would you like a pamphlet on it? Do you consent to taking this? And then it's on then it is the woman's choice, you know. I think this is crazy. Like even so many people being like, oh, shoulder dystrophy doesn't happen to every baby. I have a big baby, that's fine. I'm like, I'm so grateful that your child is here safe and sound. And that's amazing that you had that journey. But not everyone's journey is the same. So it's best to be informed. And then other families can go and have them those conversations themselves. And I think what you're doing is great because it's sowing the seed for if things do pop up and I think that's important I think being like me and never having heard of this and being oblivious um it just adds an element if you do end up being a grieving parent to like where was my head was I living under a rock just thinking everything was gonna be great like who was I to be entitled to thinking that this meant taking a baby home so yeah I mean everyone should get to but yeah, it was just crazy. And I, I think what you're doing is just amazing because someone might be like, oh, in bed one night thinking, oh, like that's unusual. Haven't felt them. Maybe go in. And then in a moment like that, a woman might be scared flicking through or that thought is unpleasant being like, oh, like I don't want that to happen to my baby. But an unpleasant thought for a second when in two seconds later people are going to be scrolling past laughing at a cat video or whatever that two seconds could save a whole lifetime so it's so important I think comments like that just like meet up <laughs> or delete well I usually comment back because also people yeah. spread misinformation and they'll say like oh my baby was fine like you said or you know, oh, just drink some juice and then your baby will wake up. Like, stop saying the same darn thing that we've been saying to women all these years. That is the reason why we have actually our stillbirth rate is stagnant for many decades here. No improvement. So there's a reason for that. It's because we're not actually informing anyone and we're not trying to do anything differently. And yeah, yeah just telling each other the same old wives' tales, which are, you yeah. know, maybe run out of room it's okay no it's not okay if your baby is no. not like they normally would that's a sign that there might be some distress it doesn't even mean yeah. like your baby is dying but like maybe your yeah. fluid is low maybe you know you might have an infection yeah. and that might cause you to go yeah. into labor like there's so many little things that you don't know yeah. so just mm -hmm. go tell your doctor right away that's all yeah. I say you know like 
who cares what anyone else in your family or online will tell you you need to be like very communicative of those things that's just can I also ask you um in the U.S. do they have a scan at every appointment given that you pay for care no (laughs) the low risk pregnancies are probably about the same as your public health I would say yeah it sounds similar hey because I think we have the scans we have a dating scan early on an anatomy scan um and like I don't I think past 28 weeks or whatever one they have I think there's some at the start in the first and second trimester but there's none in the third until you go a week overdue date if you're low risk um, and I'm just thinking if there was even a scan around 35 weeks, just for everyone, standard, public or private, it could catch so much. Yeah, like, that's what we would like to see too. So everyone, yeah. make a big bill for that, for the world. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. You know, I know, if anyone's watching this and knows how to do that stuff and change these laws, please point us in the right direction because we will get fired up and make it happen. <laughs> oh, it will. Give us another year. We have two bills to pass right now, but that's so important. I think the final um, trimester is when this is happening. So, mm-hmm. and so many babies and they're full term, they're babies that could be rescued because they're all yeah. viable. Um, yeah. We fight over all sorts of things with pregnancy and you know, a lot of people are up in arms about different things right now. And like, hello, we are letting full-term babies die and nobody's helping us. That's what's so big to me. Yeah. It's like, it's like, oh, but your, your pregnancy equals healthy or your pregnancy might equal low risk, but it's like a pregnancy, the pregnancy and the baby are two different entities. Like, yes, your baby is a part of your pregnancy, but your baby and the cord and their fluid levels and all this stuff going on you know, why not just double check? We have those things early on, check later on. And I'm sure if any woman was given the opportunity from 30 weeks to go, hey, you have access to a plan, Medicare won't cover a C-sec, uh, I mean, a um, ultrasound on this plan, but if you want it and you want it to be part of your birth plan or prenatal journey or whatever, I know so many parents that would be like, well, I spent a couple hundred on a crib. I spent money on a car seat. This is getting to see my child again. And it's reassurance. Why not? Like, why well, not? Mention, it's not a high cost item, Emmy. Like if they have the ultrasound machine there already, they can easily do it. My provider, no. like my first pregnancy that I paid for the PPO plan that was higher. Yeah. Um, he had the machine in his space so like literally anytime I was there he was doing a scan and he would do it with someone and he would make sure they were doing every little inch of my daughter they were so accurate and so he wouldn't let us leave like I hated him for a while because he used to make us wait for like hours in the waiting room and I'm like what's wrong schedule and then now I come to realize it's because he's giving every patient the time needed and he's not rushing he he would not let them rush like I remember yeah. specifically because I thought he was like really over the top. He would tell the lady who was doing the thing. She was like, you know, yeah. going around. He says, nope, go back. You missed a spot. You yeah. have it's like it's like like scolding her almost, you know? And I was like, what is wrong with this guy? Right. But I'm like, yeah. no, he yeah. was doing his job and he was doing a great yeah. job. And I thank you, Dr. Navi, if you're watching. Um, but, you know, at the time it was like, why is this appointment always late? You know, I didn't get it because 
Like I make appointments for a reason. I have stuff to do now, but I love that. That's that's yeah, so good. That so if so you're far. waiting in the waiting room, it's actually a good sign that your doctor is a good doctor. Yeah, <laughs> oh, that's no, amazing. I think yeah. like the scans are not expensive. I'm on, they have the machinery. No. They're not giving a difference, you know. Yeah, and I mean the fact that most people like well in public here, if you're low risk, you, you probably won't even get given the option to have another one unless you come in for monitoring or you have a concern or you ask for it. Like it's not going to be offered to you for no reason if you're low risk. So yeah, it just blows my mind. Um, uh, we need to erase the risk name thing too because I, I was a low risk um, situation until everything happened. And then yeah. I was a high risk patient. So it's ridiculous to say yeah, that. Right. How do and you know I'm well, high risk, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And the thing is as well with my pregnancy, my pregnancy was low risk. My delivery was not, and that was not made obvious. And I was not an active, informed person in understanding that and what I could equip myself with. So yeah, I just I just wish they saw pregnancy and you know, other factors as separate things <laughs> and different risk factors. So, yeah. Oh, well. But, yeah, okay. it's weird here in, um, sorry, in um, public and private. In private, similar to in the UK, they have the machine there and you'll get to see your baby every single time if you want to, um, which I think is amazing. And it's just covered in the fees. So, Yeah. <laughs> But you know what, that's like a high tech solution, which not every country will have. Mm -hmm. I will say like, if we just start listening yeah. to a woman and her concerns and her, how mm -hmm. she feels in her body, that will yeah. probably catch a lot of situations a lot more than you would even think. Mm -hmm. Because I mean, you have places like India that are having like greatly yeah. higher rates of stillbirth. And yeah. they're like, what's happening here? We're trying the same things, but I still think it's cultural. If you don't listen to women, yeah. you're not empowering them and maybe the providers yeah. can and you have to have your husband there and they have to speak for you. And you know, yeah. there's weirdness like where the woman doesn't feel <sighs> confident and like she could just speak her yeah. mind like, or she's it's afraid. So and, like, you might be afraid to say, well, something's wrong with my baby because then that comes back to you mm -hmm. being a bad mom. Like yeah. I didn't do something right in my pregnancy is something, you know, so it's just yeah. the, like let's just listen to them and that's why I do like the CDC's campaign for um hear yeah. her it's called so listen yeah. to the mother whatever she's saying and you know go follow up and check and actually check don't yeah. reassure without action. yeah yeah that's so good and it's totally okay to turn around to your provider who's reassuring you and maybe the kindest most chilled out person under the sun but it's okay to say to them oh can we have some evidence to back this reassurance um so, yeah yeah was there anything else you want to share about your babies I know we get to see them a little bit on social media but they're yeah. both so, so sweet I love seeing Miller growing now and uh, um I, I I don't think there's much else I can add to our wonderful chat you covered so much but yeah Miller is just amazing like I look at him and yeah I I just want to encourage anyone that is thinking or amongst their grief thinking oh do I have another baby like um mum guilt can be a crazy thing and it can feel like 
you're doing something dishonorable, like having another one and you're not replacing your angel or anything like that. Like you had dreams and people in life have dreams and they have goals and they have things that they like looking forward to, even if it's a holiday. And just because you don't get to go on one holiday because of COVID or whatever, doesn't mean that you're not allowed to experience them in the future. And even though we're experiencing amazing things with Miller and it's different to what it would have been with Asha, we're so grateful for it. And if anyone's thinking about taking those next steps in your life, please don't let fear hold you back. I, I was in tears multiple times thinking about having another baby and we had many conversations. My partner is amazing and so supportive. And yeah, we were just like, can we, could we possibly deal with another loss? And we were letting the fear of that and the start stop us from experiencing all this joy that parenthood can bring. And yeah, I just want to encourage anyone, please don't let fear stop you from having those little smiles or those amazing moments in your life because, you know, life amongst grief, when you've lost someone, it can feel a bit stagnant and you can feel stuck. So getting to wake up one day to a tiny little human who is encouraging you and distracting you in ways um it is the most healing amazing thing ever once they're here that fear will just go away until your next pregnancy but then you know it'll be fine again but yeah just don't let fear stop you from doing anything and always speak your mind if your gut's telling you something please if you're the only difference between your baby getting a check and your baby not who cares what someone thinks of you and yeah overall birth and your baby coming home safely and getting to go home and be on that car ride home with you that is more important sometimes than the way your baby gets here at the end of the day when our kids are in classrooms or meeting the love of their life and you're watching them grow you're not going to look at them any differently because of the way they got brought into the world so yeah, please sometimes just get rid of the societal pressures and just be like in my individual situation, what is best for me? What information do I have here? And what is my gut telling me? And run with that to let everything else just, just like turn the volume down on everything else and do what's right for you and your baby. I love that. I think it reminds me of the hashtag birth is birth that I use sometimes yeah. about section birth because you know, you do feel a little bit like maybe I'm not, you know, I didn't get that perfect birth or somehow yeah. you feel the shame of like, you weren't that type of mother, you know, you weren't able to do it mm -hmm. that way. And I do think yeah. it's for everyone to realize that, that that's not as important as the baby being here and yeah. whatever you did to have your baby and whether or not they're here or not, you're still a wonderful mother to that child. Yeah. And it's like, you got your baby here safe. You did that. Oh my gosh. Like that's, that should be celebrated no matter how much. And like, if, if a baby runs into a complication or whatever, you know, it's like, you know, if a mama is being there for her child, that's amazing. Full stop. <laughs> like the baby's not going to know any different. No. Mm. And regardless, yeah. always have your Asher is your child too yeah. and I think that's important for people to keep remembering as Miller grows yeah. you know? and I, yeah. I like people can include him and in what you do and your stories yeah. and everything but it is sad and it's not something you want anyone to no. live through. no and that's why saying things is so important and that's why you've been talking about Owen and when I came across your page I was just like 
you know, people somehow survive loss and it feels like you can't and then one foot in front of the other and you roll out of bed one day and then one day it's not as hard and it's not as whatever and you're living in their honour and their memory and, you know, it's, it's just surreal how you can survive going through something so hard that no one ever should. And I think it's just a testament to all the mums with angel babies out there. It's like we can do hard things even if it looks messy. <laughs> Yeah, it's insane. That's why I quoted you for my caption here today. I love what you said is that you share, you share your story in hopes that it become part of somebody else's survival guide. Yeah. And I think that is a huge reason why we share in social media now because we do know other women that have still been through this and um, their partners yeah. as well. And they yeah. see our story as evidence that they can live one more day, you know, and yeah. it's hard and you're not alone. I just want everyone to know that if you lost the baby, we're very sorry. And, you yeah. know, we'll not be gone. You know, we will always no. miss our child, but I think yeah. it will get a little bit lighter and you'll be able to keep yeah. carrying on and, and surviving and doing some beautiful things in their memory. Yeah. You know, I do so much for Owen's memory because he's yeah. not here to live his own life. And mm. Mm. I'm sorry. Yeah, we have to live double for our children. Yeah. <laughs> and I think any mom that's lost an angel just feels for you and your family right now because no one should know the beauty of loving someone so much and not have them here to physically experience that, but they know. <laughs> they know and oh my gosh if Owen could see everything you were doing <laughs> he would be like my mom rocks <laughs> so yeah it's it's crazy we have it's to crazy, do it for but, other parents yeah. too because the thing is that the people we're doing it for are not the lost parents only like we're doing it you know to give them some hope but then also for parents yeah. who are going to be parents even our own children yeah. in the future like god forbid anyone has to go through this so yeah it's important to keep talking about it like I don't think people may realize it they might see it more like a grief thing like I can't let go or something but yeah no actually I just don't want anyone to live through the hell that we're in um exactly you know I have we both have very bad PTSD and we cannot parent the same mm -hmm. way you can you know anyone else yeah. who has a normal um birth yeah. and all this stuff happening yeah. in their life they don't have to worry about their children the way we do because yeah. we feel like we've survived one death like that is just really yeah. hard and I think when you know what it's like to navigate death amongst life when the line is blurred um it can make you so much more grateful for like sometimes I even just wake up and I take the dog for a walk and I'm like I should never got I'm like he never even got to feel the sunshine on his skin and I would have given anything for him to just feel that. Um, and, yeah, it's weird. You can have so much gratitude and also so much, so many huge feelings inside you, like, why? But if you can help one person's baby go home and feel those things. Oh, I know it's very difficult for all of us as we navigate life after loss. So. And uh, just the moral of this entire story, I think, is just remember to trust your instincts, uh, speak up to your provider. And if they're reassuring you and you're not reassured, you have to continue to push and 
Uh, don't give up. You know, if you feel like you need a second opinion, that's always, you know, up for you. You do not have to continue with the same doctor. Even you can switch doctors. I recommend being continuous care if possible and making sure that they know you, making sure that, you know, you reiterate different feelings you might have had at your last appointments and that they might have forgotten about if you're still feeling some discomforts. Uh, there's a lot of things in pregnancies that we can say are just, you know, a discomfort. Um, most people will tell you, oh, that's normal. That's how pregnancy is. You are at your end. So, you know, they might write it off as like a normal symptom of pregnancy, but uh, you are in your own body. And I think you have to be able to trust yourself and realize that there are risks involved in every pregnancy, regardless if you were labeled as a uh, low risk or high risk. So you have to understand this is up to you to continue to communicate, continue to push and try to get the care that you need. And if at the end, everything was fine, you will not feel bad that you did all this anyway, because I do get a lot of stories on social media from people who say, well, I did go in over and over. I was an anxious mother. And at the end of the day, my baby was okay, but I'm okay with having done that. And even their providers will say to them, if they're a good provider, we don't care how many times you come in, as long as you need to, you know, we'd rather you get the reassurance. We'd rather you tell us if you feel something is wrong, um, rather than you coming to us, you know, in a hysterical moment, like, oh, I haven't felt my baby for a while. There's something um, different here. Um, in that case, like, they'll still say to you, come in no matter what. So I think if they're appropriate care, this should be the advice. If you feel a change, come in every single time. And even if you came yesterday, I'll just say this last because a lot of my lost parents, unfortunately, did have like NST prior and at their yeah. previous appointment and everything was just fine. So I've been crying on this episode. I never <laughs> usually cry, but sometimes it hits you. Um, yeah. And I just think it's so sad because they feel reassured they had a test and then they came back home and they're like well something still feels off but the doctor said everything looked good so what more would they have really done and that's why I never blame a parent I just try to give advice to future parents that can do you know fight a little bit harder just because I know where yeah. to go and you know yeah. you don't realize it being the parent but like I'm on the other side, unfortunately. And I can tell you, I'm less than a 1% chance of having a stillbirth and it happened to mm -hmm. me. So we do not want these things to happen to anybody else. So please listen to yourself um, and make sure everything's fine, actually fine. Yeah. Oh, I think Asha was like, mom, you need to calm down. <laughs> no, you do such a good job of really honoring him and you know, just being so positive. And I think we like everything around our babies to be very positive. Um, but for yeah. me at this point, like I sometimes I just cry and let it out because I don't want people to think like, oh, we're just fine here. We just had more babies than we're, we're robots, you know? Yeah. And and that's the thing, like they're always going to be, you know, missing from certain parts of our lives and we love them. That's never going to stop. And, you know, grief can hit you whenever. So, yeah, I guess it's it's good to be honest and open and vulnerable. But everything that yeah. was today was, you know, very honest. And thank you so much, Emmy. I want to let you enjoy your evening or go to bed. I don't know. <laughs> I know any little man's probably going to wake up in a few hours for a feed. <laughs> Thank you so much, though. It was lovely talking to you, Thank too. You. Have a good night. Bye, everybody. You too.
Bye-bye. Don't you just love Emmy? I told her she must write a book or go around and speak to providers to make sure that they know how to help patients have a better birth and less trauma. Thank you so much, Emmy, for sharing your story. Remember to share this episode on social media so you can help others in your circle grow their knowledge and have a better birth outcome. Remember that all the posts that we share and our episodes are not meant to be medical advice. We are simply trying to help you and inform you as you continue your pregnancy. But always remember that you should consult your provider if you have any questions or concerns. They're there to help you and they are available to you 24-7, even if you have to go into the hospital or ER. Again, follow us on social media to continue up to date with our next episodes and our posts. And feel free to connect with us in the DMs. If you have any questions, we would be happy to be there for you. You are not alone. This is your community. We hope that you will continue to watch our future and past episodes to continue to add to your knowledge as we interview birth workers, providers, researchers, and even people who have experienced different births so that when you get to your birth, you'll be a little bit more informed and prepared for whatever comes your way. Goodbye for now.